0: This is Carrie Gephardt, and you're listening to Five for Fruit, your five-minute fix for reformed theology and practice.
1: What we do here is go back, 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 back.
0: You're now listening to a special edition episode of Five for Fruit with Carrie Gephardt. On special edition episodes, Carrie interviews authors, fellow podcasters, believers, and just about anyone you can think of and they have wonderful discussions, but it takes longer than five minutes. No! 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 So now you have been warned, but I pray you'll listen, learn, and grow. Now DJ, hit that track. (laughs) In. They want a hot verse, a hot fan tossing thoughts, the tox out the toxins.
1: Yeah. It's not man, it's getting exalted. A spiff of the cross, yeah, this hit is about him. Uh, God, it is the box that I'm boxing. The block getting a doctrine where I spit. I spit. the time's giving me not lots of options, trying to beat you all like John Knox to Scotland. Because yeah. I was bound.
0: To Welcome to what? a special edition episode of Fight for Fruit. We've been looking at confessions and the importance of being confessional. And I've been kind of talking about the distinctives of being a Reformed Christian, and I don't know if there's uh, one distinctive that uh, wouldn't be obvious than more obvious than being confessional. Reformed Christians are confessional in the sense that they hold to a body of divinity uh, that's historical. It's rooted in the uh, Protestant Reformation. It's rooted in that attempt to distinguish themselves from the Catholic Church at the time, where they agree and where they disagree. And I thought to myself, what would be a, an awesome way to kind of wrap up that uh, that series of, of defending confessionalism? And uh, uh, what better way than to have the esteemed Reverend Andrew Compton, the associate uh, professor of Old Testament studies at my seminary, Mid-America Reformed Seminary, sit down with me and have a, a casual conversation about confessions and being confessional and confessionalism. And uh, so here he is with me, and uh, we are excited to have this conversation, and I just want to uh, uh, introduce uh, the, sh- the show to uh, Professor Andrew Compton. So how are you doing today? How- I'm, I'm
1: great. Thanks, Carrie, Thanks for having me on. I've, it's funny being introduced as the esteemed, so,
0: but, I'll, but I'll work with it. <laughs> right. Well, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a future proclamation. Oh, there know? we go. Out into the future, I will have said it first. Okay, there we go. So, I kind of wanted to have you on. Um, I thought you would have a unique perspective. Of course, you are an ordained minister in uh, United Reformed Churches, and you also are a professor at a, a seminary that um, is a confessional seminary, and, but it is broad in the sense that it is not specifically Three Forms of Unity or specifically Westminster uh, standards. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, I, I figured it would be wonderful if, if we could have somebody who has maybe a little bit more wisdom than uh, young uh, me, Carrie Gephardt, <laughs> uh, who is very new to uh, the Reformed faith. Uh, come on and speak about maybe some of the ways in which you have seen the value of being a confessional Christian, uh, the value of being within confessional churches and institutions, and uh, and, and kind of speak to those things. So.
1: Yeah, and it is kind of interesting. I mean, I have colleagues here at the seminary who could perhaps speak to some of the details of the confessions better, either either as church historians or as as systematic theologians. And and you know, I I come as a as a biblical specialist. I do I do Old Testament, um, and so I it, it's funny. Uh, some would probably think that's a uh, that that would be the perfect position to be grading against confessions, you know, from biblical studies, and yet. Uh, it's it's as a confessional um, uh, a confessional believer that I've found such good guidance in pursuing biblical studies in in ways that don't just pick up on the latest fad um, or the the latest trend in in biblical studies, whether whether evangelical biblical studies or uh, whether in the more critical mode of things. So yeah, it's fun to it's fun to be able to talk about this, even though some might think it's strange that a biblical specialist would be doing so.
0: Right, in the sense that maybe uh, even though you're in biblical studies, being confessional gives you a framework mm-hmm. within which to truly <laughs> value that line of of work.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, it, and it's the the reminder. I mean, what is what is biblical studies supposed to be about? Uh, a bunch of years ago, um, maybe not that many years ago. Uh, 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 Michael Legaspi wrote a book uh, on the uh, rise of biblical studies. It's a it's an Oxford monograph, um, but he he was drawing this distinction between what has become called the academic Bible, uh, you know, which is divvied up into various source documents studied as though it's a. Uh, a mythologized bunch of, of things you know uh, right here was this ancient community back in hoary antiquity that decided to worship this God and they decided to call him Yahweh and and all of these myths developed around you know that's kind bunch of, of sheep herders of, right here, here's this 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 model that gets played out of what what the academic Bible is and yet on the other hand, there is a thing called sacred scripture and it's it's what the church reads. it's what the church. Uh, confesses to be the word of the triune God to his people um, so that even biblical studies then I mean, is, is, is forced to answer the question what are we studying when we study the Bible are we studying this completely um, uh, just this simple ancient piece of literature or are we reading an ancient piece of literature that is still the living voice of the triune God now and what does that entail then uh, even for even with confessions I mean, right. th- those, those tie into that very question
0: Right, because I mean, our fathers, the Reformed people, who were sitting down and working out confessions and writing, writing these scriptural doctrines out, that's what that was their basis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They wanted to make sure. I mean, how does every confession start? The Word of God is yeah. is the sole authority, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So yeah, there's There's always must
1: always. Well, there is always a section on Scripture in right. the confessions. You know, what is the what is the document that we're we are. Uh, resting our confidence on as the self-authenticating infallible word. Um, So the confessions are seeking to to understand
0: that. Right. Well, maybe that would be kind of maybe the first question that I would ask you, like maybe how would you respond to somebody uh, who maybe would come from my uh, traditional past and say, why are you talking about confessions or creeds? Mm -hmm. Doesn't that undermine in some way the authority of the scriptures by mm-hmm. by holding to these other documents mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and saying no, you need a confession. Right. Well, why can't we just say all we need is is the scripture?
1: Right. I mean that that the ironic thing is, I mean that that um, it it sounds very well intended when people put it that way. I mean, it sounds very pious, and, pious, and I, yeah. I don't even want to to I don't even want to dismiss their good intent. I mean, we we should be. Uh, Laying our confidence in the Scriptures, and you do you do meet places, or you do meet people, and you see uh, places in history, and places even in the present where people are just blindly following a set of dogmas um, that whether or not they're related to Scripture is sort of uh, not relevant to them. Right? Uh, yeah, that was all, that was what Luther's whole whole thing was about saying. I, I need to be bound by Scripture. Um, yeah, yeah. You're. Um, uh, how is it? How is it a uh, a right, a biblical thing. I mean, there is just the practical reality of any time, any time you say something using non-biblical language, right. you are making a confession of faith. Um, you know, any, any church that that has on its mission statement, "We believe," you know, in uh, in the triune God. Well, that's a confessional statement, right? Because there's no biblical uh, individual passage that says uh, God is one in essence and three in person we call him a Trinity <laughs> right well okay so you're confessional now and and right. why is this uh, wh- why then are you are you balking at, um, at the idea of having other types of pronouncements from Scripture and some of course are very biblical they use almost word-for-word biblical language you find it in the in the Westminster Confession of faith or in the three forms of unity you know right. you mentioned those as, as being uh, um, Taught very uh, uh, regularly around here at Mid America, um, we uh, we find these shot full of scripture references or even direct quotes from scripture in
0: formulating right uh, these these assertions. So uh, that's the, been something I've been realizing as I've kind of gone back and rereading the Belgic Confession is that. Oftentimes they'll say something, mm-hmm. but then they'll say, as the Apostle Paul mentions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then quote a scripture. But, on the canons uh,
1: of Dort do the same
0: thing. You know, right. here's, here's this very narrow point of
1: debate on, on uh, predestination, uh, and yet especially the rejections of errors almost always end with some direct citation of scripture.
0: Right, and, and, and it made me kind of think about, you know, Dr. Richard Muller was here this this week right. uh, lecturing here at Mid-America. And he mentioned that one gentleman yeah. who wrote that uh, doc- book of doctrine. Right. But he he said I'm only going to use biblical language right to write this. And he, you know, Dr. Muller was telling the story. He said I read it, and I was like, he couldn't speak about anything <laughs> because you know, by good and necessary consequence, we have to deduce uh, things that we un um, interpretation, in mm-hmm. in essence, interpretation mm-hmm. almost demands a. Uh, you know, some sort of confession, some right. sort of summary of understanding of certain uh, theological doctrines, but it always makes me think of my my past too, my tradition. Mm-hmm. They would always say, "No creed, but Christ; no mm-hmm. book, but the mm-hmm. Bible." But the irony is, that's, that's a, creed. a creed. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> that that's, is a creed. Um, that's, that's so,
1: such a, such a, a an oft repeated uh, sentiment is is uh, is how often. Well, I just I just follow Christ. Great as you should, but right. that's a creed. Which Christ? I'm, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, and that that takes it even, even into that uh, that discussion as well. Um, yeah. There's a content uh, to this, and oh, I, I was yeah, even thinking about that that very book. Um, there, there's there's the reality of of what Scripture is too. the the, the nature of the Bible as um, holy Scripture. It, it, it's it's a story. Right. You know, it's a narrative that unfolds from creation to new creation, Genesis to Revelation, and it is progressively unfolding. Um, it, it's, it's showing God's uh, working in history to uh, redeem a people for himself, to reconcile a people estranged from him unto his glory, um, and all the way into the, to the glorification and, and consummation of the age to come. It's not set up as a, an outline. Of these fundamental uh, beliefs as a word right. about God, you you don't have a passage saying, uh, and and Moses shall write herein are the incommunicable attributes of my being, <laughs> you know, as right. follows. As follows. Um, but no, it's but it's recognized. Well, who who is this God that keeps showing up in history? Uh, right. Who is this God that keeps talking to the patriarchs? And and how does he relate to the God that talks to the prophets? And how does he relate to the God? who is revealed in Christ to the apostles. Um, are these different gods? Right. Well, well, no, we say obviously they're one God. The, the New Testament writers assumed so. They assumed that continuity. The prophets assumed they were, they were dealing with the same God of Abraham, um, the same God that created all things. Right. Uh, and in light of that, we say, well, what are they focusing on? And how, how do we bring these things together? And how do we understand the, uh, the, the, the truth of, of who he is? Um, and what he's doing in light of these different venues, as it were, in which he's been revealing himself, right. and that's what that's what confessions do. That's what systematic theology in general does. Right. You know, uh, that's why even the most um, you know Bible alone type of Christian is going to, when a Jehovah's Witness comes to their door, they're going to cite several different passages of Scripture right. showing the divinity of Jesus Christ. Um, well, that's systematization right there. Right. And and. The difference is that: Are we going to systematize only as individuals, or is the church also called to systematize? Right. I mean, that, that's that's even a. Um, yeah, I, I was struck by a, a line in in Herban, Herman Herman Bavinck's uh, Prolegomena that says his, his, he he has written a whole systematic theology where he's analyzing all these different. Uh, points about what has what God has done and who God is. but in this prolegomena he's, he's kind of unpacking the, the foundations for for how we even go about doing that. Mm-hmm. And he, he even has this line he says, um, the Church of Christ therefore has a certain task to fulfill with respect to dogma. Um, if we can go on to preserve, explain, understand and defend the truth of God entrusted to her, the church is called to appropriate it mentally, to assimilate it internally and to profess it in the midst of the world as the truth of God. I mean, you you, you hear him even getting at it. It's not just individuals right. who are called, but it's it's the collective. Right. Christ did not just save a bunch of individuals as much as our modern, or I should say our postmodern mm-hmm. culture wants us to believe we're all just a bunch of isolated individuals with our mm-hmm. own stories. But rather there's a people, a collective, a, a bride of Christ made up of many individuals who come together together and they have this task to study the Scriptures, to make uh, pronouncements about what the Scriptures say so that they might confess it in the midst of the world. Right. And, and that's what a confession is, is that collective. Um, that c- it's, it's as though the entire Church of Christ was standing at the front door when the Jehovah's Witnesses come, right. rather than just me or you standing there giving
0: our reasons. Right. But, and I think that, that, that speaks to the importance of uh, the value of believing that the Holy Spirit has been working yeah, in the church throughout mm-hmm. the years. Um, I think about sometimes as Reformed people, we can get really nervous when we read things like, and this is one of the most creative new theologies <laughs> out today, because we always go, well, "What's the, why are we being creative in the mm-hmm, sense that, mm-hmm. don't we believe that, uh, you know, when Jude said, uh, defend the faith once forever, yeah. once for all delivered to the saints, mm-hmm, that the church mm-hmm. has been doing that throughout uh, the ages and mm-hmm. that uh, really the confessions that we hold to are a um, a result of that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. it, it is it's it's working up into that point and saying uh, we believe that this is a a a, a good representation of what uh, the church has confessed throughout the ages and what the Bible itself teaches absolutely and, and isn't it isn't
1: interesting too that the the confessions even the reformed confessions I mean they they take that That truth once delivered and show how it relates to the present day right yeah because you can find you know people will get very excited about um about the reformation Mm
0: -hmm. and they'll think especially this year
1: (laughs) yeah right 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 with the 500 uh 500th anniversary well when i think of a um of a story uh you know i once heard a, a guy says tell me that tell me the history of your church oh well our church began back in nineteen seventy one when <laughs> when Pastor Steve graduated from, yeah. you know, the Bible college. There we go. There's our church history. And and a congregant says, Oh, well that's that's neat. That's an old church. But then they learn, well, actually, there was this church that, that started five hundred years ago. Maybe, maybe we should look into them. Oh, they're a lot older. Right. But if you're already on that kind of a mindset, you're going, Well, wait a minute, this church over here, the Eastern Orthodox Church, claims to be the, the church that right. of the apostles. Maybe we should go there instead. Mm-hmm. Well we need to remember that the the church has been confessing that that uh, that truth into these various periods, um, right. so that the, the it, it's not simply trying to find who's got the oldest um, genealogy, mm-hmm. you know, but rather to say who has been uh, who's been faithfully confessing. The truth as once delivered, and and how is it being rightly confessed into that into right. that day and age and and you even look at, for example, the Heidelberg catechism, um, a very wonderful uh, warm uh, in many ways comprehensive document it's not it's not as right. organized of a confession as is the Belgian Confession or the Westminster Confession of Faith or the yeah. Second Helvetic Confession or, or any number of Reformed confessions that, that you can find. It's deeply
0: pastoral. Oh, and yeah. It, very it, beautiful. it walks
1: through the, the drama of the Christian life, for one. Uh, guilt uh, answered by grace and resulting in gratitude mm-hmm. as, as this macro structure. And yet there's even elements of it that show particular issues. So, for example, we have our cousins in the Reformation at the, in the Lutheran churches, right. where we have this point of disagreement about the... the um, the nature of the sacrament or? yes exactly is is how is christ present in the sacrament how does the ascension uh, come to bear on that so the heidelberg catechism has a number of questions on the ascension right and you can see how it's showing this truth uh, of the scriptures and how it relates into this modern when they're 500 years ago right. modern their are contemporary uh, situation. Yeah, we're still not over it, though. <laughs> yeah, right. We still we still spar, and uh, and and we're we're better off for it because right. we uh, we we grow in our knowledge of God's word, and uh, and we also rejoice in those those similarities. It's exciting when you look at how the Reformed confessions, um, in so many ways, uh, express their agreement with the Lutheran confessions right. on any number of issues like justification. Right. Uh, and so it's it, these these are so much consensus documents. And efforts to show our unity, um, rather than schismatic kinds of documents, to you know just designed to, to shut everybody out who doesn't you know right.
0: lockstep into our uh, our mode of thinking. And they're often <clears throat> culturally now mm-hmm. viewed in that sense, yeah, as something that is saying, "Oh, here, you know, we're this particular church with these particular doctrines, mm-hmm. and we think we got it all right, and we're going to stay here huddled in our little corner." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I found that that as as an application of confessionalism, something that's been really interesting has been, okay, now that, I, now that I stand on these documents and say I believe these are faithful representations of the teaching of scriptures, how much more confident and comfortable I am to interact with people from other denominations mm-hmm. or traditions and backgrounds. Right. Because I can say, look, you know, if we agree on these core issues— Mm-hmm. Then we mm-hmm. can have conversations about the other things that we have disagreements on right. in a cordial and, and kind fashion mm-hmm. um, without me feeling threatened. By you mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. your perspectives or, or your different views on these these particular issues, right? So right. that's something I th- I have found uh, is 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 extremely applicable and beautiful about being a confessional mm-hmm, uh, Christian. Mm-hmm. Maybe one question I was kind of wanting to ask you is, you have some experience in in pastoral ministry, and maybe you could speak to uh, the value of pastoring with. Confessions, or um, you know, pastoral uh, situations that have been, uh, you know, being a confessional Christian or being within a confessional churches that's added value to uh, to those interactions. Yeah, you know, it it, um, it was neat to see
1: how many people in uh, in Southern California. Um, well, I, I should even preface that I, I pastored in the city of Anaheim. California, which is a suburb of Los Angeles, it's down in Orange County. It's famous for the the Angels playing Anaheim near where our church was. the uh, The Ducks, the hockey team. So we were in this. uh, We're right by Disneyland. We were in this this hub, and we were in this very um, uh, in this setting that was. very consumer oriented, very me mm-hmm. oriented. Now we could probably argue the the bulk of the country is that way, but right. But here is a place where that's especially this is California vivid. man. Oh yeah, I mean <laughs> this is this is where it's everybody who's hip lives there. Everybody's right. cool. I mean, um,
0: go to church on Sunday, go to the beach. I mean, which right? Right? Yeah.
1: Do? And what was amazing is to see how a, a confessional reformed church like Christ Reformed Church in in Anaheim, um, h- how they were able to offer something. Uh, to this very consumer, um, individualistic culture, was, uh, it was exciting to see how the confessions um, gave them the ability to do that. A big model that the church had always stood by when it was, when it was planted by, uh, by Kim Riddlebarger and Michael Horton was mm-hmm. that we're going to run our distinctives up the flagpole, not to be, not to be um, schismatic, but because we think we really have something to offer. And when we say we're a confessional reformed church, um, here's what we believe and, and now we'll, we'll show you, um, one, why we think it's biblical, but also why we think this really is, is practical, why right. it is so relevant. Um, and we found, it, well, one, one thing that, um, maybe I should start really broadly. I mean, look at how this individualism um, in which we, uh, this individualistic culture in which we live, look how that um, affects people. People are cut off. They try to do all their social interaction on Facebook, yeah. and yet they feel this emptiness. They, there's this, this longing for approval, um, this longing for, for, for love, for friendship, for, for fellowship, that they just can't recreate uh, via social media. And even the people who join, you know, who go out, uh, who go out clubbing or who go out doing whatever they can yeah. to try to surround themselves with people, um, look how, how empty they, they still feel. And yet, um, what's amazing is that the confessions, um, by being a confessional church, we're already showing ourselves to be a community. We're not just a bunch of individuals trying to to charge up with our individual interests. We're letting this communal document mm-hmm. um, help show us some of the contours, the main emphases, the high points of Scripture. And, and we had this way where people say, where were saying, you know, I'd been to that that Bible church down there. And yes, I heard about Jesus, no doubt. Right. But, but it, it still always left me trying to decide my interpretation on this and me trying to figure out what I was supposed to do with, with this, that, or the other things. There was no, there was nothing bigger than me. Right. And, and I was still as isolated as I was when I was out clubbing. Um, I was still as isolating as, as, as when I was out just trying to find my own truth without Christianity. Right. Um, Whereas here they said, and yet here is now, here's here's like a, a, here's a foundation mm-hmm. that I can stand on and, and actually know what questions to be asking about the Bible. Um, I, I, I don't have to just start in, in Genesis and go read right to Revelation with no sense of what am I supposed to be looking for? Hmm. Um, and, and so they, that was really practical, hearing people uh, find this grounding in a confessional re- uh, reformed church right. that enabled them to then be more biblical. Right. Whereas prior, it was just this isolated proof texting by whoever thought they had the newest set of proof texts. Right. Or even, even for example, um, uh, some churches would be built around a particular leader. Uh, we had mm-hmm. several prominent individuals, and I'll just leave them unnamed so that I don't, you know, mm-hmm. sound all grouchy or anything. But we had several prominent individuals in Southern California um, who had established large churches. Um, really known for their individual personality and preaching style and right. belief system and you were still then left trying to say well how do i know uh, which one of those guys has the right interpretation yeah and and how do i know which books match with that one guy's thinking right. and how do and there was an uneasiness a tension Whereas here with a with a set of confessions that had not been formulated by one guy, hmm. but had been confessed by the people of God collectively, right. by ministers coming together in in a in in council and, and debating and saying, No, if we if we articulate if we articulate faith that way, look how we're gonna cut this out. Right. Or if we don't articulate it with this precision, look how we're gonna allow for this misunderstanding that cuts against what Paul is saying or James right. is saying or Peter's saying. And, and so it, it it gave a great deal of confidence in in setting the stage for a, a robust engagement with Scripture. Hmm. So that, that, that stood out to me. This individualistic society um, was given a, a mechanism for enfolding them into a community of Scripture readers.
0: Right. And beyond just kind of beyond what you would consider is your normal, really brief statement of faith... Right. From the church. Right. You know, that just says,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, we want to make sure you believe the gospel. Right. <laughs> and that's it.
1: Well, and, um, the, and the funny thing, I mean, there was even a, a church around uh, in Southern California where they had a particular model of ministry that yeah. they said was the essence of the church. They, had, uh, they also confessed an additional work of the spirit in empowering the believer beyond the indwelling of the spirit. Another point of their doctrine was a relaxed, casual style of worship. Another point was the pre-tribulational rapture of the church and the final point was balance on non-essential issues such as Calvinism and Arminianism right and you think wow this is so quite, put, this is all over the map here <laughs>
0: I'm just I'm just actually laughing because they put pre-trib over Calvinism yeah, or Arminianism I know it now that's
1: a non-essential <laughs> yeah and and maybe you can say mid-trib maybe we'll tolerate some mid-trib guys right or, or, but, but at least at least we're, we're oh mercy yeah um, but, but isn't that funny how the, the narrowness is so narrow and right. the, the breadth is so stiflingly broad because there's, I mean, what is faith in this model? What is right. the church in this? What is worship in this model? We, right. have, no, we have no sense of how worship uh, on the Lord's day. Well, what is the Lord's day? We're not even told what that is. When should we worship? Why right. should we worship? What should we do in worship? Right. Except, that, except we're supposed to um, be relaxed and wear casual clothing. What if I dress up? Is that against the rules? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. So it's, um, yeah. y- y- you can see it's just this continued like tyranny of the individual. Mm. Trying to, Well, what, are, what am I really interested in? I better make everybody else do this too. Right. Whereas imagine if these points had been actually debated biblically. Mm-hmm. Maybe you would come up with a pre-tribulational rapture of the church. Now, I would I would suggest you wouldn't come up with that, but <laughs> but maybe you would. But at least it would have been done biblically, right. And arguing from scriptures and and arguing based on how the church has historically understood this and what are mm-hmm. the ramifications. And it, at least it would have, have played
0: out that way. All right. And this isn't to say that in confessional churches we don't have adiaphora issues. We don't have right. You know, secondary issues that we disagree on. I mean, particularly is that example eschatology or something like. Mm-hmm. Like right. That. Right. But it is to say that that the confessions give a a body of, of doctrine that is deep enough that it promotes conversations mm-hmm. concerning what we believe and concerning what we confess that allows for. You know, I, I mean, I just say this like practically like when I was in a non confessional church that mm-hmm. had a really brief statement of faith, mm-hmm. there were all kinds of pastoral issues that happened bickering between each other and people getting in in mm-hmm. in debates and fights because somebody said so such and such thing that they disagreed with mm-hmm. and a lot of that was because well anybody who wanted to come to our church as long as they believed these you know mm-hmm. five things or whatever they could right and and that leaves a lot of variety of mm-hmm. of uh, convictions in the congregation yeah yeah
1: but and and you look yeah there are a number of things that the Confessions don't cover. Right. I mean, we are not told which Bible translation uh, we're supposed to use in any of the Reformed confessions. And because of that, we've got confessional Reformed churches that use the ESV, some that use the NIV, some that are very convicted by, by the need for the King James Version. Right. And But the point is there's liberty within that. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: the confessions don't specify a right. particular translation. And and they there's a wisdom in when these framers were were writing these confessions, they were saying, no, we really are what are we doing here? What are we trying to zero in on? Right.
0: Um,
1: and, and I think that's an important thing to note too is is even how different uh, different truths carry somewhat different weight mm. uh, even within the Christian life. I'm struck by um by a quote from from Hermann Vitzius. Vitzius uh, was a um, a Dutch theologian um, of the uh, so-called Dutch Further Reformation or the Nader Reformatie go Dutch. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that that correctly, but but he notes that there are um, three types of uh, three distinctions concerning necessary doctrine, and and I'll, I'll just read this quote. I hope our listeners um, don't think it's too um, too hard to follow or anything. But he says, uh, first we observe that doctrines may be said to be necessary, and he gives three ways necessary either to salvation, or to religion, or to the church. Thus, a doctrine without which, or without knowledge and faith of which, God does not save adults, is necessary to salvation. So there are certain things we have to believe if we're right. even going to be saved. Then there's other ones that, without the practice and profession of which, no one can be considered conscientious in religious observance, is necessary to religion. So he notes there are things you need to confess to be called a Christian, recognizing that there might be uh, somebody. Who does not hold to certain things um, that would align them with a particular Christian church, and yet they may still hold the fundamental articles unto salvation. Right now, you know we don't want to too far remove the church from the individual salvation. But, right, but the reformers were trying to be careful with that. Right, you know, they wanted to, you know, be they 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 wanted to recognize that there are people who rightly believe. Uh, in, in the triune God of Scripture who rightly believe uh, the gospel even though may, maybe they aren't in a church. Right. Um, and even the Reformers, for example, felt that even though the Roman Catholic Church was a false church, she had a true church within her. Right. And, and so there's recognition. They're, they're, not, uh, they're not engaged um, in, in a, a true form of Christianity, and yet they thankfully have right belief in Christ. Right. Um, in spite of everything spite that their religion is, uh, around them is teaching. But then this third thing, uh, they say, and that without which, meaning those things, without which none is admitted to the communion of the visible church is necessary to the church. He goes on to say, this is Vizius still, there may be articles without which persons ought not to be admitted to the fellowship of the church that should not for that reason be regarded as absolutely necessary to religion or to salvation. I mean, look how this relates to what we were talking about earlier about Lutheranism. You know, we, we have this disagreement on on the person of Christ or right. the, the, the Christ's human nature. And we would say they ought not to be admitted to this confessional body. We just disagree on this. And this is right. this is enough that we don't share enough unity to really have a constructive... Platform for working together, moving forward theologically, mm-hmm. and yet that doesn't mean that we that we dispute that these Lutherans are not uh, in fact brothers. I call them cousins in the Reformation, but I right. call them brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Because exactly. that's what they are. Um, I call my uh, my Baptist friends, you know, cousins, uh, and yet they are my brothers and sisters in Christ, and right. even though we can't simply come together. With mm-hmm. this fundamental disagreement of, of how we ought to mark off members of the covenant community. Right. And and the confessions fit into this really well. You see that wisdom of we're trying to articulate as clear as we can be, as, as precise as we can be the truth of God's word so that we might rightly um, rally around it uh, mm. and be able to serve Christ with a clear conscience and with unity rather than... We're trying to make a list here of who gets into heaven and who doesn't that's some good stuff right there. I think it's just such a such a wonderful observation by Vitzius.
0: right right okay, so rapid fire question maybe mm-hmm. here uh what's one of your favorite statements from from a confession uh,
1: boy you know here here's a fun one from uh,
0: I, I've been struck by the Belgic confessions um statement on baptism because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it's rich with biblical theology mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can't no, quote it, but it talks about Moses and and the Red Sea and mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: all that. So No, that's a fabulous one. I've um I've been
1: struck by Article 26 of the Belgic Confession of Faith. Hmm. It's this it's this um article that has a lot of polemic in some ways against the Roman Catholic Church because this article is about the intercession of Christ and it's it's saying right at the beginning, we believe that we have no access to God except through the one and only mediator and intercessor of Jesus Christ, the righteous. Mm. And it goes on to say, um, you know, actually it's a dishonor to the saints. Uh, sheer unbelief has led to the practice of dishonoring the saints rather than honoring to them, where he's talking about people praying to saints right. to try to get, um, and, and you can even make the, the comment about look how we dishonor Mary. Mary mm. truly is, you know, blessed uh, among women.
0: Um, of course she is, yeah. and,
1: and yet how she is dishonored when she is turned into a Mm. co-mediatrix. And yet, in the midst of this somewhat polemical argument uh, in Article 26, I love it. It says, But this mediator, referring to Christ, this mediator whom the Father has appointed between himself and us ought not to terrify us by his greatness so that we have to look for another one according to our fancy. Listen to this. For neither in heaven nor among the creatures on earth is there anyone who loves us more than Jesus does. I I'm just floored by wow. that. It's that's amazing. That's so in, pastoral, it especially is. the
0: people who are maybe weak in their faith or mm-hmm. concerned about their assurance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just the freedom to come to the Lord because of His love for us. Exactly. It, Which it's is really something wonderful. that I mean, at that time was obviously a deep concern because that was why all these. Mm-hmm. Um, you know saints were being prayed to and whatnot because jesus was pictured as this this fearful mm-hmm. you know character you know and another if i can just throw another favorite
1: oh please is, do is, yeah. and I, i'm kind of even picking but the heidelberg catechism is so easy because it's so warm so right. it's almost like better to go to the harder ones and, it's and so show personal. how warm they are yeah. mm-hmm. the canons of dort i mean so, so we saw a bit of a polemic in, in the Belgian Confession there, but the whole of the canons of Dort is, is a very focused, right. uh, polemical argument against, um, against Arminian or against the remonstrants. Um, and what I love is in the first main point of doctrine, or the first head of doctrine, Article 16, um, it talks about something I think we all experience, if we're honest, and that is doubts or struggle with ongoing sin. Um, If you're going to read what I think you're going to read, I love it. I read this to my wife. Did you? Article 16. Those who do not yet actively experience within themselves a living faith in Christ or an assured confidence of heart, peace of conscience, a zeal for childlike obedience, and a glorying in God through Christ, but who nevertheless use the means by which God has promised to work these things in us, Such people ought not to be alarmed at the mention of reprobation, nor to count themselves among the reprobate. Rather, they ought to continue diligently in the use of the means. They should continue to desire fervently a time of more abundant grace and wait for it in reverence and humility. And and it goes on to say how our merciful God has promised he will not snuff out a smoldering wick, Mm. and that he will not break a bruised reed. I mean, look, here's this this very focused polemic. Um, right. And yet, it's saying, okay, okay, I get it that you have been struggling with the same sin over and over again, or I get it that you you feel you're a terrible mother or a terrible father, right. and and you're you, you're so embarrassed with how you lost your temper with your kid, and and you want to grow, and you're you're you you're trying, and you're you're asking for wisdom from friends and from your your own parents or from uh, people in the church, and and yet you're doubting, like, why am I, why do I lose my temper so quick maybe i'm not elect because if i was elect wouldn't god be slaying this sin in me and yet look at how it says nevertheless you know uh by by um they should not uh, uh, doubt um even though they have this they're 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 struggling with assurance or, Mm. or their conscience is pricking them they don't even have a zeal for childlike obedience, they're saying they're not as pursuant of godliness as they know they ought to be, and yet who nevertheless use the means of that, that God has promised to work these things on us, they ought not to be alarmed about reprobation or count themselves among the reprobate.
0: Hmm. And I love
1: it to just continue to desire diligently a, or desire fervently a time of more abundant grace and to wait for it. Right. What well, you know, wait for it. Right. Don't 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 throw in the towel, hmm. but recognize that God's near He's he's near to you now in Jesus Christ, even though you, uh, even though you don't um, feel
0: like he is. Right. And I think wow, that that's is deeply pastoral. It is. It is. And you think canons ador- that's in the canons ador- in the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in of yeah, because you think that's just uh, polemical, <laughs> right, the, right. the Calvinism Arminianism thing. Right. That, that can one. I see that I, actually that isn't the one I was thinking of, oh, was but it's it? okay. very similar to it in sure. the canons. Uh huh. Let me find it. Uh that's where I was doing I said it. casual conversations, so, yeah. you know, dead time is fine. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I love, I love, let me read the, the Belgic Confession on oh, okay. on, on baptism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, do you remember what article that is? It's like, oh, don't do this to me. This is where I say I just <laughs> teach Old Testament. I think it's 30, <laughs> uh, 34. This is why I mark up 30, my copies. So yeah, I level. don't have it memorized either. Article 34. We believe and confess that Jesus Christ, in whom the law is fulfilled, has by his shed blood put an end to every other shedding of blood, which anyone might do or wish to do in order to atone or satisfy for sins. So he says, having abolished circumcision. But this is the part that I love, Mm -hmm. the one at the end that uh, is very polemical, but I think it just draws on so much biblical theology. So it says, for that reason, we detest the error of the Anabaptists. Mm. Ooh, who, are meanies, not, yeah, <laughs> who are not content with a single baptism once received and also condemn the baptism of the children of believers. We believe our, our children ought to be baptized and sealed with a sign of the covenant as little children children were circumcised in Israel on the basis of the same promises made to our children. Hmm. And truly Christ has shed his blood no less for washing the little children of believers than he did for adults. Therefore they ought to receive the sign of sacrament of what Christ has done for them yeah. just as the Lord commanded in the law that by offering a lamb for them the sacrament of the suffering and death of Christ would be granted them shortly after their birth mm-hmm. this was the sacrament of Jesus Christ That's good mm-hmm. stuff right there And what, then, a, what a comfort I mean I don't
1: have to hold my kids at a distance from Right right I can you know I I can I can teach them about Jesus and I can and I can I can share with them. I can teach them how to pray and I can help them confess their sins. I don't have to say, well, boy, I'm, uh, uh, sweetie, I, I don't really know if you're a believer yet. we got to wait till you're about, you know, 16 before you go to camp and throw the pine cone in the fire. And then we'll know you're a Christian. Then we can talk about this whole repentance right. thing and what it means to ask God to help me to obey mom and dad or what it means to, to uh, help me to, to show love to my, my brother or my sister. Yeah. You know, it's something that, um, also stands out. if I could jump back to something you were talking about the yeah. role the confessions have played in in the church is again, on that nature of the individualism of of um, of society. Um, we talked about the community, the fact that the confessions are are the product of a community, right. And as they also enfold um, enfold us into a particular community, but I'm struck that their their story, they they, they give us the, well, I think I said earlier, kind of the cliff notes to the storyline. You know, they, they illustrate the high points of that story that stretches from Genesis to Revelation. And another big feature of postmodernity has been mm-hmm. this narrative turn, this turn towards story. Right. Um, and it's unfortunate that postmodernity has been called, you know, the incredulity toward metanarrative. You know, a lot of postmoderns don't like the idea of a big story. A big
0: story, right. They want their
1: own story. But the problem is that's tyranny. You know, mm-hmm. again, I'm just, I'm, I'm once again isolated off telling my own story and right. living in my own story, and I've got other people who are more consumed with their own stories than they are with mine or with me, and yet look how the confessions orient us so clearly, so carefully to that big story, where, where all these people who were in tyranny to their to their passions, to their emotions, to their whims, to their wants, to the fads, all of a sudden, at least in Southern California... Got a glimpse of a bigger storyline, a story um, that scripted them a role in it. They were charactered in the you know they they are now actors as it were on the stage of this story. Right. Um, And the confessions were the perfect
0: vehicle for introducing them to that biblical storyline. I think that's beautiful because I mean when I became a confessional Christian and started you know reciting the creeds mm -hmm. on on Sunday morning, I thought to myself. I really did never know what the Universal mm-hmm. Church meant. Mm-hmm. I really did not know, like I did mm-hmm. not understand the fact that here in my little church, as our little group here, mm-hmm. how truly connected we are to all of the the Spirit Born Again believers yeah. all the way throughout history. And I like, I agree with you. With you, I think the Confessions, rather than just you know, just saying. Oh yeah, you know, universal mm-hmm, church mm-hmm. all the way throughout the ages. I have actual, you know, guidelines to be mm-hmm. able to tell. Yeah, this is what this is what true believers have believed throughout the years, isn't it? And isn't it? Inter- it's like a um, the,
1: uh, the confessions enable us to mine Hebrews eleven for all it's worth. Right. You know the this the the faith of all these saints, this cloud of witnesses, and whereas if if we if on our own, we might just be tempted to say, "I know. I think I'll try to be like Abraham, and I think I'll try to sacrifice my son." Oh wait, I better not do that. But maybe <laughs> I'll, maybe I'll do this instead, or you know. It, and and it's all over the map. Whereas, the confession's orienting us toward this this universal church, this yeah. invisible church, um, Catholic little C. Yeah, I mean, it allows us to say, "Wow, look how Hebrews eleven gives us a glimpse into that very thing." Right. again orienting us to that big picture and, and allowing us to have meaning in in what's going on and and I think most postmodern and and uh, some millennials caught up in, in a lot of this it's not just millennials of course it's gen mm. Xers it's right you know any generation can do it but how do they deal with tragedy I mean if if my right. story is the only one that works now what do I do when the doctor says you've got lymphoma Wait a minute, I didn't make that story up. Clearly, there is a meta narrative, Right, right. <laughs> that, and I, I can't just deny it by, by focusing on my own story. And I don't want to listen to
0: anybody else who's like also experienced
1: lymphoma. And right. Has to, you know. Whereas here, suddenly, we can actually be sad about lymphoma.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: can actually grieve that diagnosis <clears throat> because we have a story that makes sense of it. It tells a story of the good creation. That was plunged under the curse through Adam, mm. and yet that God nonetheless pursued in mercy and in grace, sending His Son to uh, to not simply pluck sinners out of out of hell, right? But to restore the whole cosmos and in fact bring it to the to the desired goal that He had for it in the first place. And how this whole drama enabled that to be experienced more vividly and more powerfully by His people. That story, I think, made ministry so compelling and made the confessions. Um, uh, such a useful tool right. in helping Christians to uh, to see how the Bible um, oriented their life in right. ways they they may not even known how to to inquire about before.
0: I got one last question for you, and then I'll kind of give you a moment to maybe. <laughs> tell people where if they can find some of your material or past writings or whatever, however you want them to be able to follow up with you or mm-hmm. however you don't want them to follow up with you. I don't know. It <laughs> <laughs> just depends on what you want. Yeah, sure, um, sure, If there was somebody listening to this podcast right now who was thinking, you know what, these these confessions sound like they would be really beneficial to me, um, devotional maybe even, um, or uh, I'm in a, a non-confessional church or you know what would be something that you would say to them that would kind of be like the next step to do like what would you suggest to somebody who's in that place uh, who's maybe trying to evaluate the value of being a confessional uh believer a confessional christian well I,
1: as far as me i mean I have not um I, I can't say that i've I've written a lot on on this uh, topic or or uh, or done much so that I could point people to, but I guess I could point people toward resources that I've found um Really useful. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I think of. Uh, I guess if they wanted to contact me, you can you can do so through the Mid America Reform Seminary uh, website, uh, midamerica.edu edu. Uh, my email would be up there. But I think for for somebody uh, um, new to this, learning this, you know, I on the one hand, there's a really nice book by Kevin DeYoung. Mm-hmm. I think it's called The Good News We Almost Forgot. And it's sort of like a mini commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism. And what I love about what what Young has done is is he's he's shown again that, that that thing about confessing the faith into the present situation. Right. You know, he's shown how how meaningful, how how relevant, how it really is good news um, for today, even though it seems like it's so long ago. We may as well forget it. So that was a really good resource. And and Reverend Danny Hyde uh, has written a really nice commentary on the Belgic Confession. I believe it's called "With Heart and Mouth." Really, I can see it up on my shelf, but I can't make out that the name. That sounds awesome. It's published by Reformed Fellowship, and it's a really nice. It, it's precise. It's got theological connections, but it, it just, in general, orients people toward um, toward uh, toward the content of the Belgic Confession of Faith and how right. it
0: relates to the Christian Church. And there's all, all. I think Van Dixhorn has one on the Westminster, right? There's two as well.
1: There, he has a, a good book, a recent publication, kind of like a commentary. And also R.C. Sproul has a I think a three volume set on the Westminster Confession of Faith. And R.C. Sproul, of course, is the is the consummate uh, um, teacher who who shows right. things in a very clear, understandable, and, and practical way. And those are great resources one could use. And I even uh, found a neat series of books for um, for kids by by uh, Reverend um, Bill Buchstein uh, has written three kids books on each of the three forms hmm. of unity, published by Reformation Heritage Books. Tells the story of the Heidelberg Catechism, and and. How, uh, how Zacharias or Sinus and Caspar Livianus and how Frederick the Elector, uh, how they were brought together in God's God's providence and good timing, and, right. and what they were hoping to do, and the, some of the struggles in their life. And It's really vivid, and he tells the story of, of, uh, of Guido de Bray, uh, the who the primary author of the Belgic Confession, um, right. and and the persecution he he. Uh, he underwent. In fact, he was martyred right. um, for for making uh, making that good confession. And the canons of Dort, and and tells it tells those stories um, in really engaging ways and really fun illustrations that, that kids will like too. Um, but but those are things that come to mind as as things that have helped me. Um, Again, continue to appreciate the ongoing relevance of it, and also trying to, I guess, infect my kids right. <laughs> with a sense of yeah. of how um, how useful this is. I want to infect them uh, first and foremost with God's word. You know, tell them the stories of Jesus, tell them the stories of God's work throughout redemptive history. But I love being able to help them see when when our pastor reads the Heidelberg Catechism. Right. I, I love that they can see that as. As also part of real history, right? Um, that and real something men. that meaningfully connects mm-hmm. to, right? So yeah, I can I can think of uh, of those as some resources that that i found very very valuable, and there's thankfully such a resurgence of um, of creeds and confessions, even outside of, um, I guess, uh, our, our traditional, yeah. yeah, typical. You know, there's this new city catechism that Tim mm-hmm. Keller and some others have written, and. Um, you know, here, here's an effort to, again, have a model for teaching the faith to children, to other adults, right. uh, that can be used in, in, in broader uh, churches, not just in, in Continental Reformed or, or Presbyterian churches, but, but one that's being used in, in a number of different ways. But again, you see the same impulse, as it were, you know, behind it, trying to give those, those points, those orienting compass points almost... Yeah. Um, for Christians, that they might
0: understand God's word better. Well, Professor Compton, the very reverend Compton, <laughs> uh, I thank you so much for taking your time. I know you're very busy and uh, I appreciate uh, this interview. I think it's going to be really beneficial to the listeners. It's been very devotional uh, just even for me thinking through mm-hmm. how how uh, wonderful and how beautiful of a gift the confessions have been to the church. Um, and uh, at this time, I would just uh, remind all the listeners that uh, Five for Fruit is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. You can learn more about them at reformedpodcasts.com. And uh, I hope you've uh, enjoyed this 50 minutes of fruit. And, I would, yeah, I'll see you guys next week. Until then, may you bear much fruit glory of God. He is
1: the way and the truth and the light declares, it So I know it's right.
0: Never believed it till he gave me sight. Now he's the reason I live in this life. Living in trees and a peace who you fight, meaning refusing the bow to the Christ. Good works and using they'll
1: never suffice. If you still breathe, you better think twice. Life too short. end up be caught. Standing perfection, you're coming up short. Sin is rejecting the truth that is thought. Give them the biblical proof they can talk. I stand in the proof and I'll never depart. Standing for truth like the sinner taught. Rebuking the system they need to abort. His word is my first and my final
0: resort yeah. Five for Fruit is a proud member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Check out more members of the Society at reformedpodcasts.com Subscribe, rate, and review Five for Fruit on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And visit the website fiveforfruit.com to listen to past episodes and to read articles. Until next time, this is Five for Fruit, your five-minute fix for Reformed Theology and Practice.